Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books in Politics on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Bill Scher. Today we are joined by longtime Democratic Party activist Thomas B. Reston, who has just written the new book, Soul of a Democrat, published by All Points Books. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. Uh, so uh, what compelled you uh, in your history of uh, political activism and government service to write this book? I'm very alarmed by the conversation of the Democratic Party these days. Uh, And I wanted to help uh, remind the Democrats of what their purpose is in the life of America. I think they need to think about themselves more uh, carefully than they have been during the last generation. And I think we're at a new inflection point in American politics where conceivably the next generation of political dominance will be settled. And I think the Democrats have to be serious about themselves. Uh, So uh, we're coming off of a period where uh, Democrats have won the presidential popular vote uh, in every election, save one since 1992. Uh, We had, uh, uh, Barack Obama, even though he wasn't able to pass the baton to Hillary Clinton, still had a successful two terms, left with uh, still has strong popularity. Uh, obviously, Democrats are not in a good place with Trump in the White House and Republicans controlling Congress. But uh, can you argue that Democrats aren't that deep in the wilderness, considering uh, that they are still winning the popular vote and and Barack Obama's legacy is still considered relatively well amongst most people? Well, you can certainly argue that. But I think if you look at where the party is uh, in, in terms of the election results, we are at about our lowest point in almost a century uh, we have not only been blocked out of the White House, uh, we've been staggered in the Senate, we're way behind in the House, and catastrophically, we have been uh, ejected from the governor's mansions and the state houses across America so that we are currently uh, in control of only six uh, of the 50 state governments. Uh, I am not necessarily pessimistic about the Democratic Party, but I think the essential question, the fundamental problem of the Democratic Party lies within the Democratic Party itself. And I think the Democrats have to pick up the mirror uh, in order to decide how to go forward. So your book, uh, Soul of a Democrat, uh, spends most of its time talking about the history of the Democratic Party and the legacy of its most prominent presidents. Why do you think that lies the key for how Democrats should be moving forward? Well, the book is about uh, half political history and half uh, meditation on current day politics. 
My argument is that the purpose of the Democratic Party is to be found in its core ideals. And its core ideals do, in fact, come from historical struggles that the Democrats had with their opponents in the past. And I think those particular struggles that gave the party its political myth, if you were, uh, set up conversations that future generations of Democrats had to take into account as they set their strategy for their own time in the life of the republic. Now, you uh, focus on uh, Thomas Jefferson, Andrew Jackson, uh, William Jennings Bryan, who was not president but ran for president several times, uh, Woodrow Wilson, FDR, Harry Truman, uh, Lyndon Johnson. Uh, now, if you ask the average Democrat or liberal slash progressive today, they may speak warmly of FDR, Truman, and Johnson, uh, but they are less inclined to speak warmly of Jefferson, Jackson, and Wilson, uh, largely uh, because of issues regarding race. Uh, why, uh, why should Democrats... Uh, look more closely at the records of those um, uh, of their more ancestral presidents, and not be looking at them through uh, modern eyes and, and reexamining their legacies in terms of race. I think Democrats should be looking at uh, figures like Jefferson, Jackson, and Wilson through modern eyes, but it isn't the policies of Jefferson or the policies of Jackson or the specific policies of Wilson that are of use to Democrats today. Obviously, uh, you know, Jefferson's uh, slaveholding or the Trail of Tears with Andrew Jackson or Wilson's views about submarine warfare or racial segregation are of no use whatsoever to Democrats today. But their political approach to the political struggle, to the power struggle, is very, very much indeed relevant to today's politics. It is the ideals of these uh, people and their approach to politics that is significant for Democrats today. So Democrats have been moving away from this, but for a long time, all the state annual dinners were Jefferson-Jackson dinners. Uh, as a way to maintain that historic tie to their uh, their more populist inclinations. Uh, and so while they've been moving away from using the moniker Jefferson Jackson because of these because uh, of uh, racial revisionism, uh, you do see a big embrace of populism, particularly in the case of the Bernie Sanders uh, campaign. Uh, do you not think that Democrats are just inherently attracted? to following the Jefferson-Jackson model, even if they they haven't looked that deeply into uh, the history as, as of late? Well, I think the party is uh, definitely moving to the left since the 2016 uh, election. And I think that uh, Uh, I think that figures like Jefferson and Jackson are very useful to Democrats if they will focus on their ideals today. But uh, I I am a believer in the thought that it is good for the Democratic Party once again to focus on this 
uh, part of its political myth, which is the fight for the outsider uh, and economic justice. That myth came into the party with Andrew Jackson in 1829. Uh, And uh, so I think it is in a time of confusion in politics, and I think most everyone is confused these days about the political situation. It is very helpful for Democrats to look at their own history and be clear about uh, what their purpose is in the life of the nation. Part of the problem of the Democratic Party is that our purpose has become muddied in the last generation. And we need to sort this out and be clearer in our minds about where we want to be taking the nation and what our governing instinct is. And I think the figures from our past can be very, very useful uh, to current day Democrats. Now, there there is a tension in the party. Uh, sometimes it's called you know populist versus establishment. Uh, but there's definitely a tension, a tension between those that want to frame the debate as sort of the people versus uh, corporate uh, influence, corporate power, uh, and people that are recoiling from uh, populist demagoguery, seeing as it has led to a President Trump, uh, and wanting to bring back notions of of expertise and reason. Uh, when you look at the Jackson presidency, you talk in the book about his fight with the, against the Bank of the United States, uh, Second Bank of the United States. Um, we're also in a period where people are lauding the are lauding Alexander Hamilton in a way that we haven't in in, in decades, uh, who fought Jefferson over these matters. And uh, there's a notion among some Democrats that Hamilton had the better argument. And uh, when Jackson destroyed the Second Bank of the United States, that wasn't good for the economy. So it, is there a downside to reconnecting to that populist fervor uh, in that it doesn't necessarily lead to good governance? Well, there's definitely a downside to it if you connect into it the way President Trump has connected into it. Uh, uh, his his effort, in my view, amounts to a, a, a politics of serpentry. But um, the, the ignominious thing for Democrats is that he has taken one of their great uh, political core ideals, which is the fight for the outsider, and he has twisted it and perverted it to his own uh, personal ends, but he has succeeded in snatching it away from the Democratic Party temporarily. I think that what we have to remember here is that there are different ways uh, to make a populist argument. There, there are different ways to appeal to the working class in this country. And the democratic way to a, a appeal to the working class is not the way Donald Trump has done it. But it, the recovery of this particular constituency is absolutely vital to recovering the political soul of the Democratic Party. Uh, you mentioned in your chapter on, on Wilson uh, and you know, most of the talk of Wilson lately is how he uh, uh, there was some resegregation of the federal government on his watch of the federal workforce. Uh, folks on the right tend to harp on uh, his abuse of civil liberties during uh, what was in the, called the Great War, or, or, in the, or in the aftermath of the Great War with the Palmer raids. Uh, 
But you talk about his domestic policy legislation in, in the first term uh, and how he b- had to balance the those populist desires uh, with expertise uh, in terms of things like creating the, the Federal Reserve. Uh, is, is there a lesson with Wilson on how to walk that line and marry – uh, those two desire those two desired goals to be on the side of the little guy, while also uh, exhibiting principles of uh, of sound uh, practical governance. Yes, indeed, I think Wilson is uh, uh, particularly useful to modern day Democrats if they will step back uh, and try to get some perspective on uh, uh, on his political thinking. Uh, there are, uh, you know, uh, there are tensions, internal tensions all over the place in the Democratic Party. Uh, he did not impart a new core ideal to the domestic debate uh, when he ran for president in 1912, but he took the various political myths of the nation and he was able to become more than a balancer of constituencies in the Democratic Party or interests in the Democratic Party. He became, he was to become a balancer of political myths. And so one of his myths certainly was progressivism and the, and the, which carries a respect for ideas. But there were other myths too. The Jeffersonian myth of the individual, the myth of popular sovereignty, that the people ought to be in control of the government instead of the elites, the fight for the outsider, which came from Jackson. And he wove a tapestry of ideals for the public debate, and he crushed Theodore Roosevelt and the Republicans uh, by using this approach. And this, it seems to me, is a very fertile approach for the Democratic Party today as it seeks to balance the Sanders people and the Clinton people uh, moving forward toward 2020. Now, you're, you're speaking a lot about myths here. You mentioned in the book there's, there's a difference between a myth and an illusion, correct? Yes, definitely. Um, I don't mean a, a myth, obviously, as a fantasy or, or uh, you know, something that uh, never existed and never can exist. It's really uh, the equivalent of an ideal or an ethos or a pillar of political faith. All men are created equal uh, is a core ideal of the Democratic Party. Uh, it obviously isn't true. All men and women are not equal, but uh, it is a goal for Democrats to be working toward. And it is also a philosophical lens where you begin your consideration of a political problem before you start uh, uh, applying the facts of the current situation. It is these core ideals that the Democrats need to return to and I think they can increase their uh, reach into the electorate uh, beyond the 50 percent that they now have. Uh, when you, you shift to more recent uh, presidents, FDR, Truman, Johnson, uh, is there are there different lessons to be learned from the these are people that uh, current Democrats have a, a bit more intrinsic understanding of? 
Uh, are there things that you you believe the average person doesn't grasp properly of, of those presidents? Let me give you an example. Uh, uh, um, all Democrats, <clears throat> all Democrats who who have any grasp of political history will refer to the 1948 campaign that Truman waged as one of the great political hero sagas of of the modern democratic age. And indeed, uh, like every other Democrat, I love that story. But it seems to me that when Democrats talk about it now, they are missing the point. Uh, the point they generally make is that uh, Truman beat the odds uh, in order to carry that election against uh, Thomas Dewey and the Republicans in 1948. But that's not really what is most useful to uh, the Democratic Party now. Instead, the real question is how Harry Truman beat the Republicans that year. And the way that he did it was to fuse the Democratic Party with its core ideals. He explained the purpose behind the controversies of the day, and he kept lobbying these big myths into the political debate, uh, things like the people versus the special interests and and the ideal of the, of the New Deal, uh, economic security for all, and instead of the Republicans controlling that debate in 1948, suddenly Truman and the Democrats were able to take it back from the Republicans by forcing the electorate to uh, make up their minds about the election based on the political uh, core ideals of the Democratic Party and not the Republican Party. So... Uh Going from Truman to Johnson, Truman, of course, was part of the Democratic shift to being the Civil Rights Party, uh, having uh, desegregated the armed forces uh, around the same time. Hubert Humphrey uh, wins a plank in the Democratic Party platform embracing civil rights, which causes the Dixiecrats to, to walk out of the 48 uh, convention. Uh, and then Lyndon Johnson, 64, actually passes the Civil Rights Act. So that you have a whole recalibration of the Democratic Party's position on on race in America. Uh, what should Democrats to today take from Johnson's role in that? And how does that square with what Democrats need to do today to win back those white working class voters that went to Donald Trump? Well, you're absolutely uh, right in your history. And uh, I am an old civil rights guy. I have been twice uh, elected chairman of the board of the Mexican-American Legal Defense Fund, MALDEF. Uh, I have spent most of my career battling for civil rights. I approve of what the Democratic Party did uh, in the 1960s to move out of white supremacy and into civil rights. Uh, I fought for it within the Democratic Party for years and years and years. I don't think the Democratic Party is going to go back on that commitment. I think it is well understood by rank and file Democrats. I think it is solidly in place. But I don't see that there uh, should be a necessary uh, disconnect between trying to recover the loyalty of the white working class and maintaining our civil rights commitment. There are lots of ways to uh, appeal to the white working class, many of them uh, all over this country in Appalachia and elsewhere are outsiders. And uh, 
the Democrats need to have a non-racial narrative uh, that can unite all kinds of outsiders, um, no matter their color or ethnicity, to say, look, we've got to put resources into the people who are having a hard time, and we've got to bust up the rules that prevent uh, people from getting ahead in this country. I think you can make an argument about that. I'm uh, optimistic uh, about Democratic chances of doing that. And now I think is the time when Democrats have to work it out among themselves. It it, it strikes me that the the easy part of that case is saying we all have a common interest in affordable health insurance. We all have a a common interest in affordable education or uh, low cost of living, uh, reliable retirement security. Or it gets tough is when you start talking about actual instances of racial bigotry, uh, whether it's involving uh, the police or uh, educational um, uh, funding disparities or things like that, uh, and uh, or even if it's just stuff on TV like the Roseanne TV show. Uh, people are very quick to take offense and say, if you're calling me racist or my people racist, I don't want to hear what you have to say about anything else. Uh, is there anything from the way uh, Truman and Johnson handled civil rights that can inform us about how Democrats can walk that line today? If you go back and read Lyndon Johnson's speech when he introduced the Voting Rights Act uh, to the Congress in March of 1963, I think you will see that he over and over again emphasized that this was not a particular a bill that was for only black people, uh, that this was opening a city of hope to Americans of all ethnicities. And I think the key to this is to emphasize a broader argument to construct one public uh, narrative for the country at whole that, uh, as a whole, that, uh, that all kinds of people can lock into you take a guy like Connor Lamb in Southwest Pennsylvania uh, about a month ago. Uh, he uh, he won his election by saying, "Listen, we've uh, we've got to put the government behind the little guy again. We we've got to we've got to assure the little guy that the government is there to help him." Uh, and he won a very tough election on that basis, and he. He was able to capture lots more of this constituency we have been talking about, but he did it in not in terms of the specifics of hyper-specific policies. He did it by uh, an emotional argument that people could connect into, could lock into. And this is exactly the kind of emotional, simple, blunt, honest kind of argument that Democrats have uh, largely uh, refrained from making for the last generation. We're talking with Thomas Reston, author of Soul of a Democrat, published by All Points Books here on the New Books in Politics podcast. Uh, You mentioned Connor Lamb, who who in 2018 won a special election uh, in a Republican district that had been uh, Republican held for a long time. he did not say all that much about Donald Trump in that special election. Uh, and you suggest in your book that perhaps Democrats in the uh, initial wake of the 2016 election are perhaps too obsessed uh, 
about Donald Trump. Uh, is, is that a fair characterization of your of your case? You bet it is. I think the Democrats have developed a monomania with Donald Trump, uh, and I think they've missed the opportunity to think seriously about our, uh, themselves by focusing so closely on Donald Trump. Uh, but, you know, uh, I, was, <clears throat> I was very disappointed in the so-called reassessment that the Democrats did in the wake of the 2016 election, but I think things are changing now. I think now that the primaries have begun, I think you are seeing people begin to grapple with what uh, what what kind of democratic party we are to have. And I think the people who have dominated the democratic party for the last couple of generations, the progressives, and I'm, I'm talking about progressives in the tradition of uh, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, uh, that line of progressives. I think the Bernie Sanders people come out of a different part of the democratic tradition. I think that progressive uh, dominant tradition now is struggling. And I think you see in the results of these primary elections, new counter centers of influence rising in the party, people like Doug Jones in uh, Alabama, who in a way has a William Jennings Bryan, a kind of a, a, a moral approach to his politics. People like Connor Lamb returning to uh, the political myth of the New Deal. And indeed in, in Pennsylvania, you even had four self-identified socialists uh, winning Democratic nominations for the lower house in Pennsylvania. So I think the struggle now over the future of the Democratic Party is beginning. And I think that this will be the decisive struggle uh, perhaps for a whole generation. Now, we, we talked about illusions before. Are, are, you, are you still concerned that there are certain illusions that Democrats are, are trapped by? Uh, yes, I do. I think uh, some of these illusions are, well, we, we just need to get back to normal or the Democratic Party doesn't matter anymore or our consultants and experts will uh, save us or we can't do anything about our problems. Uh, I think uh, the Democrats have to uh, take heart and take confidence in themselves and, uh, as I say, return to their core ideals. And I think this is the way forward for the Democrats. You mentioned return to normal there. And, uh, you know, so much of the Trump presidency has been a, a complaint that uh, we, we should not accept this as as normal. Uh, is there potentially a uh, parallel in 2020 to 1920, when after two terms of Woodrow Wilson, there was a lot of social upheaval uh, in the aftermath of the Great War, where in terms of uh, labor relations and race relations and uh, economic um, distress, Warren Harding comes in and runs on return to normalcy, and that seems to be sufficient. Um, do you th- are, are you concerned that Democrats might think that's all we need to do uh, and not put forth enough of a robust uh, narrative for their own their own case? Well, I think that would be catastrophic, actually. The idea of the Democratic Party as uh, uh, as the kind of party that the Republicans put forward in the 1920s, it it's so phlegmatic. Uh, 
I mean, I, I, I think the United States uh, it is, it is in terrible shape these days in many respects. And I think uh, the American people really have to work hard at understanding each other and restoring, uh, you know, restoring the United States to, uh, to a position of honor in the international community and making the American government work for uh, uh, all kinds of Americans who have been left out, as well as the middle class. I mean, the Democratic Party built the middle class of this country uh, with many of its policies. You don't, you, don't have, you don't have a chapter dedicated to uh, Barack Obama, but you do discuss his relevance to the current state of, of the party. Uh, are there things about the Obama presidency that Democrats should be, or, or Obama's campaigns and governing that Democrats should be emulating, or and are there elements that Democrats should be more critical of? Well, I was proud to support uh, Barack Obama when he ran for president. I think he was a very fine president in many respects. Uh, The reason uh, why I didn't dwell on his presidency is that my book is about the core ideals of of our party. And uh, the last time a core ideal was brought brought forward by the Democrats and, and, and used uh, by the Democrats to dominate the power struggle was in 1933 when Franklin Roosevelt uh, imposed his economic security paradigm. Um, I think that uh, Barack Obama uh, was probably the finest, the greatest orator that the Democratic Party had produced since Woodrow Wilson. But I think once he be- once he became president, he didn't uh, uh, either think or use these um, big credos or or fundamental political uh, pillars of political belief in order to mobilize the yearning of the country. He didn't uh, enough connect the details of his policies to the political mission of the Democratic Party in the life of the republic. So uh, we're talking before the midterm elections in 2018. Um, uh, As you indicated, there there are some candidates who are you know, not running uh, as Trump-obsessed candidates. We're f- focusing on uh, local issues and things of that sort. But we're going to be in, in relatively short order in the primary season. I imagine a lot of candidates are going to declare a presidential candidate soon after the midterms. And now you're talking to the Democratic primary electorate nationally, not so much the general electorates in House races and states, Uh is there a risk that we're going to be very Trump obsessed very shortly? And are, is there counsel you would give to the potential, you know, 15 or so people running for president uh, how, where they should be putting their focus on? Well, yes. I mean, I, you know, I, I think the Democrats have wounded president Trump with all of our criticism. So I'm not, you know, I too am a resistor. But I don't think the Democratic Party is going to be able to get a- away with an anti-Trump uh, uh, message, leaving it at that for 2020. It didn't work in 2016, and I don't think it will work in 2020. 
um, I think that um, uh, I think that we have to think about what we are offering to the nation. Um, I think that uh, we should find it natural that um, uh, different parts of the Democratic Party, different geographies in the United States should be different. Massachusetts Democrats uh, are different from Wyoming Democrats, and I think we should find that natural. And I think the key to this is to create this public narrative that I've been talking about of the different core ideals of the party as a way to unify the party. I, you know, I'm going out speaking these days about the book and everybody asks me, well, who among the 15 or so Democratic uh, presidential campaign, I mean, uh, candidates is really picking up your message here. And my response is that so far, uh, each of them seems to have a little bit of these uh, seven core ideals of the Democratic Party, but I don't see so far a candidate who is really trying to unite the party by balancing the core ideals of the party, which I think will make us more attractive to a greater, uh, greater majority of the American people. The book is Soul of a Democrat, the seven core ideals that made our party and our country great by Thomas B. Reston, published by All Points Books. Thank you for being on New Books in Politics. Thank you.